The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. There's such a fine line, I think, between what we think is selfishness and what's actually love, love for ourselves. And I think that sometimes what we may consider selfish is actually the best way that we can love someone else. Welcome to the Women's Sanctuary, the podcast about tending the soul, sisterhood, and the rise of the sacred feminine. Now here's your host, Arlia Hoffman. As you listen to this, it's 2024, and I am thrilled to be starting a new year and with an infinite number of possibilities. I'm not in resolutions kind of person, but I love the fresh energy. I love the ability to reimagine life and make new decisions. And I'm thrilled to be here with you today. My guest today, she and I have worked on a project together recently. We do some similar, some very different work. But suddenly, a couple of weeks ago, she posted something about this new book she's working on. And it was a huge yes for me to speak with her today. And we're going to be talking about relationships and divorce, but more particularly about the trajectory of a woman's life and how and when we come into our own and what that process looks like. For her and I, it's been a process of as we come into who we are and really begin to know who we are, it ripples out and shakes everything around us. And suddenly it may end a marriage. It may end a relationship. And for me personally, it imploded really every structure in my life. And it was messy, unattractive, highly uncomfortable, and also inevitable and very necessary in order to become who I was truly. I've talked about that before. If you want to go back and find my story, it's called Holy Rebellion. It's a couple of seasons back, but it's, if you're curious, that's where that lives. So my guest today is Dr. Cassie Seal, and she is a doctor of physical therapy, somatic therapist, and soul intuitive. Through her training and experience, she has developed an intimate understanding of the language through which our inner wisdom speaks to us. In her private practice, she functions as a liaison between her patient's body, which she calls the inner wisdom, and the patient, supporting them in understanding the root cause of what is driving their physical, mental, and emotional pain. I wish I'd had you 20, 21 years ago now. I wish I had me. <laughs> which is why we're here, ago. right? Doing what we're doing. With this awareness and combined with her supportive guidance, she coaches her clients to make the most aligned and authentic choices for themselves that in turn ignite their body's own innate healing process. She's worked with mm. hundreds of clients, helping them to not only heal their physical pain, but also bring fulfillment to their relationships and work. Her most recent project is her first book, Choosing Divorce, which chronicles her own journey through divorce and aims to help others who are navigating the difficult choice to stay or leave. Reconnecting to our inner wisdom is ultimately about restoring choice and freedom into our lives. Not everyone's path is divorce, but those whose heart is crying out for freedom must learn how to choose the path that is theirs to follow. She is not advocating for more divorce. She's advocating for more love. Welcome, Cassie. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I, I could have written that bio. It's the keywords for me, choice and freedom and reconnecting 
mm-hmm. and having a heart that's crying out for Frida. And ultimately, it's not an advo- advocating for divorce. It is what stands in the way of us and ourselves and being true to ourselves and recognizing that we have choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's what stands between us and love. Not just receiving, but giving and really understanding what love is. And then, yeah, yeah, ourselves. Yeah. And tell me how you got here with whatever feels present for you to share. Yeah. So I, I started my work as a traditional doctor of physical therapy. I was working mainstream outpatient orthopedic, mostly with people with joint pain and just humming along in my career, getting married, having the 2.5 kids too, but (laughs) building the house, I was checking all the boxes, the the checklist that I I talk about in the book. Like I came out of my childhood with this checklist and I went about checking everything off the list. And so it was go to college, get married, have kids, have the house. And I had two kids. And so after I had my last kid, my last child, it was a breaking point for me because I didn't have, my list didn't go on after have kids. I didn't have a structure. Yeah. Literally I was like, now what? And both of my kids, like their entry into this world marked some pretty big challenges in my life. I had a lot of digestive health issues with my daughter. She's going to be 15 here in a couple of months. And then with my son, he didn't sleep so I was the primary breadwinner in my family, working full time, and now I have a child at home who's not sleeping. So I'm also up all night long going to work for a year. This went on for an entire year. And it was such a breaking point for me. And I didn't pray at the time, but I learned to pray <laughs> that year. I don't know who I was praying to because I didn't have a particularly strong like religious faith, but I, I was praying hard for something to shift because it was so hard. and I started questioning everything in my life at that point. Like, why am I working all these hours to pay for a house? This was a house that I, of course, designed and we had built. And so I always talk about how I designed my own death trap in this house, which is interesting. So yeah, life just started falling apart after child number two. And so it was literally just trying to pick up the pieces and figure out who I was and what I wanted and what was important to me and just doing a full reassessment of everything with my digestive health struggles with my daughter. I did all the things where I was like, but I'm a physical therapist. I'm super fit. I just ran my first triathlon. Like you can't, I don't have gestational diabetes. You can't give me that. And so that was a falling apart also and a putting back the pieces. And I struggled for five years to, I don't know if you're familiar with the GAPS diet, but was on the GAPS diet for almost five years to heal my digestive tract. And my symptoms improved and I had better energy, but I emotionally, like my life was just so flat and so missing joy. So again, both my kids, I'm just putting the pieces together. On top of that, I'm working as a physical therapist, helping other people heal their bodies and like noticing the revolving door of people like coming in, they get better, they go out and they come back with maybe the same thing or something else going on. And I'm like, our medical system is not working. There are people who are really hurting and really struggling in their lives. And we're strapping a Band-Aid on it and sending them out the door and wishing them well with their exercise program. And it just, it felt like such a travesty to me. Like I, I wanted shifting in my own life, but I also wanted that for my clients. And long story short, I ended up, the first thing I did outside of once my son started sleeping through the night was open my own practice it's so it was like a gradual having an awareness of pieces that I could bring in. Like I started studying yoga, I started studying meditation. So I was bringing all these pieces in that were starting to like fill me in a way that I hadn't been filled before. I found people that when I did my yoga teacher training, I don't even remember what year it was, like 2015, 16, maybe somewhere in there. Um, I started networking with people who were like, oh, there's people out there like me. <laughs> I had I had no idea that there were people like me out there. And so as the pieces started gradually coming back together and I was starting to feel a little bit more joy, but still feeling like something was missing in my life. And I was studying cranial sacral at the time and I ended up going to this workshop and we were learning to dialogue with each other's bodies. And so I was on the table and this gal was like talking to my body and I was just like blissed out, like enjoying the treatment. And 
at the end of whatever she was doing on my body, she looked at me and she goes, you're stuck in life because of your beliefs about divorce. And I was like, that same look that you just gave, I was just like, what? What do you mean? And then our teacher literally at that same moment was like, okay, switch, we're done. Come back to your seats. And so I never got to ask her, what the heck was that all about? I have no idea. And at that time, I hadn't even, my mind hadn't even allowed me to consider that divorce was a possibility. I knew that I was still not super happy in my life. But what she did for me in that moment was really tap me into something Fascinating because in an entirely different circumstance, that's what happened to me. Oh, tell me. My parents divorced after 49 years of marriage. Very <laughs> traditional Christian till death do us part, but it was an unhappy relationship. And there were rumors of it and through the years. And when it finally happened, the children were like, thank God that finally happened, right? But it blew open the paradigms that we had all been raised with, at least personally for me. Mm -hmm. Suddenly this, I'll call it a glass house, right? That had been built of beliefs that had been built for me about what happens and what's allowable is blown to smithereens. And there's, I find it frequently in a woman's life, there's something that clicks, something that blows open this very carefully constructed life you've lived. And yeah, it can't, nothing can sustain after that. Whatever is false can no longer be sustained. Yeah. I really found myself, I don't know how long it took me from that moment. Like, I don't have memory of the timeline. It was in the back of my mind constantly, I think, from that moment forward. But it was something I didn't want to look at because. The only conclusion I could logically make if my beliefs were holding me back, it meant that I had to get a divorce. <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't ready to look at that yet. That felt so deeply uncomfortable to me. Yeah. Same. I, mean, I was, had yeah. no desire to follow that path. But once, once it was presented to me as a possibility in life. <laughs> yeah. It opened some doors. It was like, oh, so who am I and what do, who am I and what do I really want? And what do I really believe? Yeah. What do I really believe I, is appropriate and possible? It just, it blows my mind because we are, I used, I told you before I came on the air, I used to think this was a particularly religious thing. Mm -hmm. Women were raised to get married, have children, to follow the script. And I've also had doubts like here we are in the 21st century. Surely we know better that we have more choice and autonomy and the ability to design our own lives. And many women do. I think the thing is we do get caught in those stories that, that are unconscious. Mm -hmm. But when they're made conscious, oh, I have bought this belief system that isn't mine. Yeah. You can't uh, yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a course that I took just a couple of years ago, and they made this distinction between what it means to decide something and what it means to choose your path in life. And it was so powerful because they talked about how the suffix side means to kill off. So when we decide something, we're literally killing off all other possibility. But when we choose something, we're just choosing it because our heart is open to it. And there's no right or wrong in that. And coupled with the work that I do, I believe that when our like whatever we might call our mind, sometimes they call it your ego, your where all your limiting beliefs and stories and conditioning, where that's all stored, I think we decide our path in life from that place. But when we really tap into our soul, our inner wisdom, our heart space, we're really connecting with a place where there's so much possibility, right? It's like divorce was not a possibility to me before the moment when that woman spoke those words to me. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't even something that I would consider. And likewise, like the opening chapter in my book is all about the year before I met my ex-husband, I met him my senior year of college. And I was, I, I talked about how my best friend and I would talk about traveling the world after we graduated college and we were going to do all these volunteer service trips. And I was so excited about it. But the second I met this man, that all went to the wayside because I didn't know how to choose what I actually wanted. I, I believed I had to decide that this was my course, right? This was the checklist that I had been given from the time I was a young girl that if you want to be happy, 
and more than that, if you want to be, if you want to have money <laughs> and be taken care of, you get married, right? That was the path that was see security, yeah, pre-chosen for me. And so in that moment, it's like I didn't have the freedom. I didn't know how to allow myself that freedom to choose a life that I really truly wanted. And that was one of the things when I am after I had my son that I kept coming back to like this part of me that's still deeply. I'm 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 wanting to say the word wanted, but I'm hearing the word needed. I needed to travel. Like I my soul needed that. And so a lot of these last few years, I've been divorced three years now, I think. So I've done more traveling in the last three years than I have my entire life. I'm 44 years old. So it's been a it's been a I'm, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna interrupt again because it's I think it's a point worth making. You said your soul needed to travel. And I felt at the point that I realized that divorce was in my future, my soul had, I had pushed it down so far and so long. Some part of me was no longer willing to let that happen. Like to, I had to do something to save myself. Mm. It's just that, that deep yearning and that need, like something has to change. It's just like this overwhelming yeah. sensation that something has to change. Yeah, and not being willing to settle for anything less than the change that that you want, that you desire, that you need in your life. Like coming to that place of full acceptance of that and being like being willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that like your the needs of your soul are taken care of. That that was something I wasn't taught. <laughs> I wasn't taught that I had that kind of permission. The circumstances that really blew that open for me showed that it was possible to do what you truly need to do for yourself. And I've come across a, that a lot in my work with people is they are doing their best to meet their soul's needs, but living in a structure that's completely unsustainable for that. Mm-hmm. coming to me and asking me how to make it work. And I was like, it has to fall away. <laughs> like the, the, the structure has to crumble. Yeah. Yeah. It's a foundation. That's what I, I experienced. And I still think that I'm relaying my foundation, right? I'm, we're, I'm still doing the brickwork in my life, even three years later now, but that's in the, especially in the women that I work with, it really is. We have to let go of the entire foundation and that's why so much of my book focuses on what do you believe, not just about divorce, but what do you believe about marriage? And what did you come into this marriage believing? And does that still hold true? Mm-hmm. And for me, nothing that I learned about divorce or marriage actually <laughs> still resonated, or not still is not the right word, but like it actually never resonated with my soul. And I had to come to terms with that and let what needed to fall away so that I could prepare a new foundation for myself to stand on in life. Yes, I experienced that too. And spiritually as well, I had to just throw away everything I'd been taught and begin relaying a foundation of what what is actually true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in psychology, we call that the process of individuation, which is a great word, but it doesn't really convey the commitment it takes to to yourself to take that on and knowing that it's going to disrupt everything else for you. As I listen to you and I hear the word individuation, I keep hearing the word selfish. Like I think, and I, I don't think it's just me and you, right? I think culturally women are taught that to focus on our heart's desires is selfish. And so I do a lot of work with women. I've done a lot of work with myself. I'm still doing that work and overcoming what did I learn to believe was selfish and what actually is like, what's love? And there's such a fine line, I think, between what we think is selfishness and what's actually love, love for ourselves. And I think that sometimes what we may consider selfish is actually the best way that we can love someone else. But we have to really look, we have to really look for it. How would you define selfish? Oh, gosh. I wouldn't. (laughs) I don't want to put a definition to it because I I think. I here's what I'll say. I think most women, especially this may be true for men, too. 
But I think what we actually are calling selfish in our mind is actually love, love for ourselves and love for others. But we don't, we don't give ourselves permission to see it that way because of what we've been taught and conditioned to believe about it. I'll share with you the quote that my listeners will have heard over and over again. But one of the mantras I learned early on is the most loving choice for you is also the most loving choice for them. That's what I choose to believe that the most loving choice for me is also going to be the most loving choice for them. Yeah. And coupling with that, again, I don't remember timeline. Everything just after the birth of my son, everything just blurs together. But at one point I was reading David Hawkins work. I think it was letting go. And in that, he talks about the vibration of love and how when we enter into a vibration that is love, the body automatically begins to heal. And I talk about this all the time, this quote, because in that moment I read it, I was like, oh my God, that's what we need to heal. And I was relating it to like the physical work that I was doing with all my clients. I was like, oh my God, this is it. (laughs) And even my digestive health, like I just need to know love. I just need to be in a vibration that's love. And then very next moment was like, wait, I must not know love. If I'm struggling to heal my body and my patients are struggling to heal, heal their body, we don't know what love actually is. So that that moment was so powerful because it launched me on a journey to discover love. Like that became my commitment. And even once once that woman spoke those words about your beliefs about divorce are holding you back, I was able to continually come back to, I want to understand what love is in my marriage. And I made a vow to my myself at one point, but whether I stayed or left didn't matter. I was going to love him more. Because at the time I felt so much anger and resentment and finger pointing, and I wasn't going to take that with me. And I also wasn't going to stay in it either. So I was going to find a way, either way, I was going to find the way that I could love him more, which was just such a powerful commitment to myself, but also like rewriting the story that I learned about divorce because my parents divorced when I was 18 years old. It was nasty. My dad cheated on my mom. There was a lot of anger and hate and not talking and putting the kids in the middle. And it was just very ugly. And so that's what I thought divorce had to look like. And I thought if I chose to leave the marriage, my my husband and my kids would hate me. And that's not the divorce I was going to sign up for. I would not walk out the door if that's the way it was going to be. And understanding that really freed me to create a different roadmap for myself and my family, one in which we became very conscious co-parents and created a loving foundation. Is it perfect? No, (laughs) but it is a loving foundation. I'm actually very proud of the relationship that my ex and I have now, both together and with our children. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. I'm going to read this quote that you posted a few weeks ago. It's so powerful. The difficulty we encounter in our marriages has nothing to do with our partner's behavior. Rather, a seed has been planted in your consciousness that suggests what you grew up with, what you grew up believing about yourself may not be true. And if it's not true, it opens doors for you in your life and makes things possible that previously were not. When the allure of choice makes its presence known to you, you want the freedom that it promises to deliver. Freedom that only comes through confession of your previous dishonesty. Say more. Yeah, I think when I speak to what becomes known, right? When when the possibility of choice becomes known to us or when we stumble upon the idea that who we thought we were is not actually who we are. For me, that was the realization that let me share a, a brief story. So like, I have this memory when I was, actually, I don't have the memory. I've been told when I was three years old that my family and I all took a trip down to Florida and we decided we were staying in Fort Myers Beach and we decided to drive six hours to the key, to the Keys, to Key West to see the 
the beautiful scenery and so six hours in the car with two kids. I was three, my brother was six. And as the story goes, we got there and parked, went out to the beach. And 15 minutes later, my dad said, okay, everybody back in the car, we're headed back. And that was the story of my parents' relationship where my dad was very much the authority and the decision maker and had complete autonomy over the family, whether I'm sure, I I don't remember it, but I'm sure two kids ages three and six, they're not going to want to spend 15 minutes at the beach and then get back in the car for another six hours. So I'm sure there was a lot of feelings that my mom was trying to mop up and deal with on top of her own feelings of like, why the heck are we only here for 15 minutes? Like, we all want to stay and it's him, like, right, all the things. And so... A few years ago, I decided to ask my dad about that and see if he remembered it. And he didn't. And I said, maybe you can help me because I'm really struggling to understand. Like I have this feeling like when I was growing up that you made all the decisions, whether we liked it or not, like you were just the authority. And I don't have good a good feeling about that. (laughs) It doesn't feel good in my body. And I feel like it's really affecting how I show up to my life right now. And I just wanted him to speak to his view and his experience of that. And he's he My dad wasn't religious when I was growing up, but he is now. He's very Christian and refers to the Bible a lot. And so he brought in a lot of quotes from the Bible about how woman is inferior to man and the man is the the one who makes the decisions. He's the one to be relied on for all the decisions. And really, I don't remember the ex- the exact wording that he had, but he's going on. I'm literally like seething in my body because he's just literally validating everything that I felt as a child. And that like, I I was so angry that I couldn't speak. And I think he felt that. And he leaned in and he goes, as the man making all the decisions, I also was responsible for every decision that I made. I had full accountability, whether that decision went well or whether it went bad, I had to accept full accountability. And I literally, in that moment, it was like the exhale because I realized I chose to get married because I didn't want to make decisions and I didn't want to be accountable for making choice in my life. Because if it didn't go well, I didn't want it to fall on me. I wanted to be able to point a finger at somebody and be like, see, it's your fault. And so that's what I'm, that's what I was talking about in this quote is this idea of being honest with ourselves because it's easy for us to point a finger at the other person and point out where they didn't show up or where they haven't done the work or whatever. But ultimately, we also need to point that finger back at ourselves and recognize where we have been really dishonest and not in alignment with ourselves. It's not true to say I didn't actually want to make choices for myself. I did. I wanted that freedom, but I'm scared to death. I'm still scared to death of dealing with the accountability of saying, yeah, I want to go travel the world. And to you or this person or whoever else that may look really irresponsible or like I'm not tending to my motherly duties like I should, but can I stand in the face of my heart, stand in the truth in my heart and allow myself to choose irregardless of what the world wants to say about it? And not even the world, right? Our, our mothers and our fathers and our children and everybody has opinions about things. Can I stand in that and still hold steady in my heart space that yes, this is the path that is for me. Let's talk about that moment because I know that when you make that kind of choice that is in alignment, it's easier to just, as you say, just stand in that, just own it and not have to justify it. Is it easier? (laughs) (laughs) I know that when I, have made that choice for my a choice for myself like that and absolutely know it's the right choice i find no desire to defend it mm. or justify it there might come a point where the people in my life want more information about how i got there or what how what the implications are but i'm not going to backpedal or defend it And as I'm saying that, it is the case that sometimes those choices, you also don't know how it's going to play out. You you think it's, think it's, sometimes you don't get a hundred percent needle up and going, yeah, that's, this is true north. You get like a (laughs) northwest. And I was like, yeah, I think this is right. It's an experiment. Yeah. And sometimes we need the lesson. So what we, what we think we're saying yes to isn't meant to be like sunshine and roses. (laughs) It's meant to be a lesson. And it's, for me, the hardest part is, feeling like somebody's going, yep, see, I told you, I told you that was a bad, <laughs> but there is no wrong. There's no right or wrong. 
And that's what I have to keep coming back to and reminding myself and my clients too. Like there is no right or wrong. You cannot make a wrong choice. Like I don't look back and say, you can't mess it up. You can't get it wrong. You can't. You can just keep coming back to yourself and you'll like the universe is just going to keep giving you opportunities to come back to yourself. But it's not like school where like you fail the test and then it's done. Like we keep getting opportunities to come back to ourselves. No, and I think it's a journey, like coming into the kind of alignment that you're talking about of not needing to defend a choice. And I've definitely, I would say, gotten there on many things. I wouldn't have been able to walk away from my marriage if I, and that took a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. I think it does for anybody. It took a lot of courage to be able to stand in that. But one of the things I think as we're transitioning from making decisions from here to making choices from here is it is deeply uncomfortable and requires much bravery and courage to be able to stand in that place and one one of the things that i coach my clients on is actually we we spend a lot of time making decisions to avoid fear and so it's a very it's completely it's like reorganizing our nervous system right like we have to do all that reorganizational work and i think it depends on where you're at in the journey as to whether it feels easy or not to make those choices but i think in the beginning it feels like your whole world's gonna end <laughs> at least that's been my experience of it and the in the people that i work with it feels literally like you're gonna die mm-hmm. yeah i was thinking about that Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I was pondering some choices yesterday. I can't even remember now what they were. But I was noticing that one felt comfortable, one felt familiar, and one felt unfamiliar. And so giving myself the opportunity to question that because does that mean it's the right choice just because it's familiar and comfortable? Mm-hmm. What's really true here? Let's talk about inner wisdom, speaking of which how you work with it, how you define it, how you help your clients really tap into that. Yeah, it's been such a journey. But for me as a physical therapist, like it started with that and it started with the realization that every symptom like from a physical symptom standpoint, it started with realizing that every symptom is actually our inner wisdom just trying to communicate something to us. And it really is that objective except that everything we're taught is that culturally i think we're taught modern medicine teaches us that if we experience a symptom there is something wrong with our body that we need to fix immediately and and, right our family our parents oh my gosh you're bleeding let's take care of this and i think that's where that's the foundation of correcting modern medicine we have to start with symptoms are not problems. Symptoms are simply your higher self trying to communicate something to us. Our symptoms are a mirror for our limiting beliefs. That's all they are. And if if we can learn to really trust, it's hard, like, when you're dealing with symptoms that you go on Google <laughs> that could be life-threatening or they could be this or you should go to the doctor, right? It's really hard to stand and be like, I don't know what to do. Like all these websites and then the doctors are telling me to do this. It And it's so fear-based, right? The second we go into fear-based, we immediately go here, right? Because we don't trust our hearts to make choices when we're in, when we're feeling fear, we just want the fear to go away. We want the pain to go away. We want it to end. And so, yeah, the work that I do, what it started out helping people understand what their symptoms actually meant. It's a lot of the generalities of Louise Hay's work. It's taking that and applying it on a mass scale level. But one of the things that I started to notice, even before I started looking at my own marriage was that our symptoms are actually also mirroring how we show up in our relationships. And the way to heal our physical symptoms is through relationship to others and relationship to self. But yeah, I was starting to just dialogue with my patient's symptoms. And then I would start, well, how's your relationship with your mom? Or how's the relationship with your spouse? Are you happy at work? Because I could just feel 
it's just a very intuitive, like what started out as very much like asking the body yes or no questions. It started to come in as I would start to ask the body a question and I would feel the answer. And I always tell my clients, like, what I'm going to ask you or say to you is based on what I'm feeling so that it's open to interpretation. But it's like just starts as a guiding point of just feeling that something's off in a certain relationship or with their kids and then asking them more about it. And oftentimes it just opens the can of worms. Similar to me with my divorce, right? Let's open this can of worms and really explore. Are, Are you really happy? Because one of the things I really started to notice in my practice is like some people only want to talk about their physical <laughs> symptoms and, and others will come in and be like, and this is a mess and my marriage sucks and I, all the things with the kids are stressful right now. And so it depends on the personality, but some people are like, some people are more aware than others that there's an emotional and a physical component going on. But yeah, our first and foremost, our symptoms are inner wisdom, but also our emotions our language of our inner wisdom. Our inner wisdom is an entirely sensory language. So anything that we feel, whether it's emotional, whether it's pain, whether it's numbness, tingling, nausea, like whatever you want to label, ringing in your ear, any sensory experience is simply communication from our inner wisdom. And all of it can be interpreted in some way, shape, or form. How would you distinguish a sensory experience coming from your inner wisdom to how would you help us distinguish that from the drama that goes on in our head? Mm-hmm. Because that, that also creates, <laughs> that also creates emotion and feeling and it can create physical sensations. Yeah. So I actually speak a lot about this because what started out as me, like, having my hands on a body and feeling it has started to be like, I can actually feel or hear the vibration in people's words. So I do a lot of virtual work right now because I can feel when you're talking from your head, your mind, your limited mind versus when you're in your heart space, there's a completely different feel to to it. When somebody speaks from their mind, it's very logical and rational it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves mm-hmm. of something. And when we speak from our heart, it's a very, there's emotion tied to it. So maybe the, it could be, it doesn't have to be a positive emotion. It could be anger. It could be joy. But if there's no emotion tied to it, it's almost always coming from here. Does that answer your question? Yes. And I will say, I forgot what your original question was. So how do we, how do we distinguish between, so you're saying if, but I know that sometimes the drama in my head, the story in my head creates emotion. Mm. So if I'm having an emotional, physical response, it could be either to the story I'm making up about someone and finger pointing and blame and, or even myself versus what's actually coming from my inner wisdom. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of rules. One is, so I talk about, I I just make a distinction between feelings and emotions. This isn't something I've heard talked about anywhere else, but I do it just for like demonstrative purposes. So I don't know if you're familiar with David Hawkins. He has the map of consciousness with the lower vibration emotions of shame, guilt, apathy, fear, anger, pride. Like those are like lower scale, like uncomfortable feelings, let's call them. And then above the line of neutrality is like your joy, bliss, enlightenment, reason is up there. But as I look at that, I see when our limited mind is talking and let's say we feel shame as a result of what our limited mind is saying. So the the presence of shame automatically to me indicates that you're not in your heart space. Our heart can only feel positive. Our heart only knows love, right? So if I'm having a thought that makes me feel guilty or sad or fearful or shame ashamed of something, I automatically know I'm in my head. I'm in. I'm not in my truth right now. And so coming into our truth, then we have to. Our truth can only hold ourselves and others in high regard. 
And this is where we, this is where we miss the mark because we're either berating ourselves about something or we're pointing a finger at somebody else and making it their, that's their, I'm the victim. It's their fault. And anytime we're doing that, we're not in our truth because they're like, we have to hold not only our own light, but the other person's light as well. And this is what, when I said I would not leave my marriage from a place of anger, I would only leave from a place of love. I wanted to be able, like, I, I had to get to a place where I could honor his light Mm -hmm. because I knew that would be the only time that's, that was the indicator to me that I was in a vibration of love. That's stunning. I'm familiar with that idea in my words. Yes. If I'm in, in those, that much pain, whether it's shame or, or anger that I am not what I would call in alignment with my heart. That they're not, that's not true, right? That's Mm -hmm. not truly who I am. It doesn't make the feeling bad. Like, it's okay to feel anger and it's okay to feel, I'm not saying that we should not feel those things. Absolutely, we should. We need to feel those things. But we also need to recognize that, like, the thoughts that led us to that feeling are not our truth. Right. And that has saved me more than once because to get so wrapped, sometimes you get so wrapped up in it. So immersed in that, what Eckhart Tolle would call the pain body. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the only thing that would pop me out of it is to go, but it's not true. It's not the truth as I know it, as my, because it is so painful. It's clearly not true. Yeah. And that helps me shift that perspective. Yeah. I am, um, just to illustrate that, I, this was as my ex husband and I were, we did some counseling before I left just to work through some of our things. And we ended up doing a couple's retreat and, I this I was in studying Buddhist meditation at the time. So we were at a Buddhist monastery during this couple's retreat. And something had happened where we were just in our pattern and we couldn't get out. And I left the room and went down to the the temple to meditate with <laughs> and I was sitting on my cushion and I was just like so angry. I was like, he's holding me back. I just know it. like Buddha, tell me he's holding me back. <laughs> and and I literally heard Buddha go, It is you who is holding him back. And I was like, no (laughs) like that's not what i want to hear um but yeah it's like it's in those moments where we're like when we're so convinced that the other person is like doing this thing or they're doing it wrong or whatever and then like to actually turn and turn that projection inward and realize oh i'm the one that's not taking the aligned action (laughs) yeah it sucks but it's it's so healing at the same time humbling and healing you were talking mm-hmm. about something you just said about, you used the word limiting, but I was remembering when you were talking about how you define decide, that it kills off all other possibilities. It reminded me that, and I guess you were talking, because you were talking about Buddha, that those decisions, like when you limit yourself like that, to limit yourself limits the divine. Mm. That God or the divine can't come in any other way because you have decided it has to look, has to fit in this box, has to look just like this. And so the divine is circling over here with all this goodness. But you said, oh, but it's not in this box because this is the decision I've made. Yeah. And there's a quote about it, which escapes my mind at the moment. But that's the essence of it is that we're the ones who limit. Yeah. We put ourselves in boxes and don't let ourselves out because we think the box is safe. But everything that we actually want, everything our soul desires is outside the box. Like this, the illusion of safety. Our mind creates this illusion of what we, right? My checklist, right? I thought there was safety in my checklist. And so I was so focused on my checklist. But we as a culture, for sure, are are told that safety is where it's at. But I also know in my own life, I, that's exactly what was modeled for me. Mm-hmm. What's safe, what's comfortable, don't do anything to put yourself outside of that comfort zone of what's. I think safety is the same as love where like, we don't know love. We actually don't know real, we don't know divine safety. We know a sense of, I think whatever we was modeled as safety. I've worked with a lot of clients recently where like chaos was safe. 
because that's what they experienced all the time. And so their brain continually seeks chaos in their life, even though that's not actually what they want, but it's what feels known and comfortable. I think that's actually a really common pattern for a lot of people. But I think we also have to rewire our safety, like what safety actually looks like, not only rewiring everything, right? What we believe about marriage, what we believe about divorce, what we believe about ourselves, what we need versus what we want, what's what feels safe versus what actually is safe. How would you define what you call divine safety? I feel the sense of, it's a feeling. I don't have the words, but I'll talk through the feeling. Like I just feel the sense of like floating back onto a cloud or like having, I love water, not everybody loves water, but like the sense of floating in the water or almost feeling like you've got all these like divine hands supporting you and holding you. That's what safety feels like to me. It also It's also what love feels like to me. It's, I think it's, there's really a trust and knowing that you're held no matter what. One of my favorite poems as a kid was the Footprints poem. And it was the part where they, where the man says, I don't understand why you would leave me, Lord, when I'm like struggling at my worst. And God says, I didn't leave you. It was then that I carried you. And again, I didn't have a strong religious upbringing, but for some reason that point in the poem, even as a young child, like that just really spoke to me in this idea that even when we are terrified and uncertain about what's coming, to have that sense that we are being carried is so powerful. And I think when I speak of having the courage to rebuild a foundation and the courage to walk away from something that I wasn't sure I was not going to be hated for. I had to trust that I was being held. Like on some level, I knew that I was, but yeah, I had to open a door to like allowing. It's like almost just allowing myself to. I remember I had a friend. She's, I was like, I feel like I'm standing on the edge of the cliff and God is telling me to jump and I don't want to jump. And she goes, Yeah, but like when you look over the edge, there's a net like two feet below that's going to catch you. And I was like, <laughs> It just, that's what it feels like, I think, is you don't think there's going to be a nut there, but there is. And building that trust muscle enough times to really know that, yeah, you're held, you're supported, you got this. Yeah, I don't, how I would have done anything to change my life without coming back to that root of being loved, being held, knowing that something or someone has my back. Mm Mm-hmm. And that it's going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable. And yet, I'm not lost. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Yeah. I was like, I got nothing else after that. (laughs) (laughs) Just to, just to, to really, to feel like that's just the core of it. And we're not here having church, but we almost could just because it's, it is being able to rest in, in the depth of our being whether that's us or a belief system about a divinity or the universe, mm. finding something that anchors us in into beauty and truth and something larger than us that we are held and loved and cared for. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, it was a poem that I stumbled on. I think it was during the t- the time of making the choice, right? Like leaning into it. But I came across a Rumi poem and toward the end of it, he says, what you want wants you. And it was such a just evoked so much emotion and tears in me. And it felt like such a permission slip of, yeah, what your soul wants is here for you. You just have to, not that I didn't want it back, but you have to choose it. You have to choose it and it's here for you. Those those were very powerful words that I still carry with me so much. What you want wants you. I think everything we're talking about is really being able to trust that. Yeah, absolutely. Takes huge trust in yourself and that which is holding you. And that which you can't see or feel sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a lot of faith. And you're you're there to support women going through that and hopefully 
produce a book that will help support women through that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping to have the book. It's been in my back pocket for a few years now. So it's, I've already paid to have it self-published. So it it's so close. I just have to finish. I'm so close with the rough draft. I just have to building that trust muscle for myself, like putting the energy into it right now, but I'm hoping in the next couple of months to have it off for the first round of edits. So hopefully 2024, or 2024 will be the year <laughs> that it gets published. That I'm in so and excited. of itself is a process. Yeah, it is. But I'm so excited for it. Oh, I can't wait for it. I know it'll be a really powerful tool for anyone. Mm. So those who would love to learn more about you and be in touch, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. CassieCL.love is my Instagram handle. And then my website is also www.CassieCL.love. So you can find me in any of those two places. Beautiful. And what, just briefly, what services are you offering these days? Yeah. So I have private sessions. I offer a free 30 minute consultation. So if you just want to pick my brain for a little bit or ask some questions, that's available. You can schedule that from my website. I do private 30, 60 minute sessions. I have a group program. And then I've got a series of workshops right now, all centered around teaching my process, the system of connecting to your inner wisdom. I teach, I use human design in my work. So I'm also got some workshops on human design coming up, relationship support, all of that coming in the new year. Yeah, there's lots. It's all on my website, everything that's available as of right now, and then more to come in the new year. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here and really helping us take a deep dive into being a choice in life. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. This has been so much fun and I'm so grateful to just for the invitation to do this with you. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for being here with us, with, with me and Cassie Seal. We will be back again with more wisdom, more interviews. Thank you so much. This has been Arlia Hoffman, and this is the Women's Sanctuary. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts.